you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, this is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. There you go. When the Iron Lady sings, that tells you that we are live at 5 on the Chris Voss Show. We don't do this show at 5. What are you talking about, Chris? I don't know. Anyway, guys, welcome to the big show. We hope you enjoyed the holidays. It's the new year, if you're watching this 10 years from now on YouTube, as people do. It's uh, 2024, January 2nd, I believe. Yeah, there we go. So I hope you've all set uh, all the uh, settings for... Uh, your resolutions, your goals for the next year. But hopefully one of those goals is listen to Chris Vosh more. Jesus, we're putting out uh, three to four shows a weekday, uh, 15 to 20 shows a week, and we're uh, constantly having the most brilliant minds in the show, the CEOs, the billionaires, the Pulitzer Prize winners, the astronauts, the White House uh, advisors uh, from all sorts of different presidential uh, administrations, going back to Nixon, actually. We tried to get JFK, but I think everyone's expired from there. I don't know. We'll check. Uh, but these folks bring us the amazing stories, the learnings, the lessons of their lives. And as we always say on the Chris Voss Show, stories are the owner's manual to life. We have another amazing young lady on the show today. Uh, Rachel Milo joins us on the show. Her latest book, The Ten Commandments of Success Without Apology. She has a hashtag, Success Without Apology, as well, to go with the book. Uh, joins us on the show, and we'll be talking to her about her book, what goes inside of it, and all that good stuff. In the meantime, go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, and all those crazy places on the internet. Rachel is the author of the latest aforementioned book and the producer or host of a handful of prod- podcasts ranging from grocery industry insights to local leadership. She was one of 12 women chosen to work with women business leaders in Tunisia through the George W. Bush Women in Fellowship Program. And she brings a very unique entrepreneurial yet corporately accepted approach to women's advancement. She's been the keynote for thousands at the National Grocers Association Conference in Las Vegas, to hundreds at the Leadership Oklahoma Forums, to dozens at Connor State University, presidential leader uh, classes, and many others. She has the ability to capture the room with personalized presentations and the ability to laugh at her own mistakes along with her career and to help others face the trials and tribulations of personal brand growth. Welcome to the show, Rachel. How are you? Oh, I'm wonderful, Chris. Thank you so much for having me today. Thanks for coming. It's an honor to have you. Uh, Give us your dot-coms. Where do you want people to find you on the interwebs to get to know you better? Absolutely. You can start with my name, Rachel Milo. It's R-A-C-H-A-E-L-M-E-L-O-T.com, rachelmilo.com. You can find my name on LinkedIn, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, formerly known as, or you can look up uh, the Success Without Apology, and that is generally without any spaces, Success Without Apology, either successwithoutapology.com or the same on LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, and formerly known as Twitter. 
There you go. <laughs> Whatever it's called this week, people watch this show five to ten years from now. So uh, I'm right. sure it might be called Banker by then. I don't know the way it's going. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Maybe it'll be called SpaceX or whatever. Maybe it'll call, be called Y at that point. You know, X, Y, Z. All I know is I can't find it anymore on my phone. Uh, it's like, it's like, it's a different icon. You know, I've spent, what, 15 years or something looking at the Twitter bird, right? Right, and we've so, been looking for the blue bird, and now we got to look yeah. for the black egg. So I'm always like, where the hell's the blue bird? I, like, old habits die hard. So uh, give us a 30,000 overview of the Ten Commandments of Success without apology. Yeah, sure. So the the really narrowed down scope is, uh, you know, I didn't do success the same way that my mom did, right? And I didn't do success the same way of really anybody I'd ever seen before me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting in boardrooms and I'm across the room and somebody makes a comment about, you know, you're not going to ever be at the top because you don't do it this way. And I thought, well, really? I mean, how close-minded, right? At the end of the day, because I don't do it the way you do it, I'll yeah. never get there. Huh. And so it's like started uh, breeding a thought of like, what? Why? Why do we think that people have to succeed the same way we did, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I follow that up, and about a year later, sitting in a room, and I'm actually in Prague, uh, Czech Republic. We're meeting with our Tunisian ladies and one of the gals stands up and says, you know, I'm going to pursue these things regardless of what my husband says. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to apologize for being more successful than him. Mm -hmm. And the, and the thought was, oh my gosh, you're going to have success without apology. And immediately the room just erupted in response to that statement. And it was 12 American women who were mentors and it was 12 Tunisian women being mentored, but the message resonated the same across, right? And so it was like, oh, other people feel this too, right? Yeah. And then that began just the process of what are the ways that we apologize for doing success differently? And so the book takes you through 10 apologies that I thought I was making or that I thought people were asking me to make. And then it's kind of a challenge for the reader to look at it and say, you know, are there, are there things you're doing differently, but rather than owning them and letting them be part of your story, you're apologizing for it. Oh, do you think that people do that as a bit of a sabotage or a bit of a, um, oh, what are some of the terms that people use with the, 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 they feel like they're an actor, like the imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. There you go. Thank you. You feel like people yeah. do that because of imposter syndrome or they're not worthy enough. They're, you know, there's, there's that thermostat sometimes we have that kind of keeps us in a zone. And whenever we go above it or below it, it kind of kicks in and goes, well, you, you might be getting a little too big for your britches there. Oh, for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, just think about the, you know, the story of the crabs crawling out of the bucket and, you know, one starts to get too high and the other crabs always pulling back down. <laughs> right. There's, there's that kind of storyline of that nobody really wants to get too far out of wherever they say their place is going to be. I think mm -hmm. there is some truth to that. Mm -hmm. But I also think some of it is just, uh, and this is geared largely towards women. Mm -hmm. um, both It's to the women and the men readers, but it's really the, the women's version of, of success story. And, you know, we just haven't seen a lot of um, role models before us. Mm -hmm. So we don't know how to own it part of it. Part of it is we just don't know how. Uh, secondly is the um, the innate 
cultural things that happen around us and to us that we don't really even recognize that ask us to apologize for success. And so we just do it with inherently without even thinking about it. Um, I use this as a, just a kind of a primary example and you all heard it, but if I say, Hey, Chris, man, that is a great watch that you're wearing. A man will typically go, yes, it is great. You know, it's one of only six Rolexes ever made in, you know, this country during this time made by so-and-so the, the magic watchmaker mm-hmm. and everybody will ooh and awe, and we will, you know, men will stand proud of that, that watch. Huh? You can say to, you know, Mrs. Voss, hey, Mrs. Voss, that's a great watch you have. And she'll be like, oh, you know, it's, you know, it's a gift. Somebody gave it to me. And I mean, and, and, you know, it's, it's really not that big of a deal or I got it on sale. It was, it was discounted and I, and I used, you know, my discount. That's an apology, Mm -hmm. right? That's a downplay. That's a, oh no, please don't let me show out Mm -hmm. my success. Right. And just culturally we do that. I mean, you can ask 12 year old little girls about those things and, mm-hmm. and they will, they will shun away from being too proud that they have earned something or that they bought something or they, you know, they have earned a prize. There you go. Do you think that's a deferment to feminine nature and masculine nature? I mean, as masculine men were kind of designed to be a little bit more, uh, overt and, 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 uh, well, we're, we're something, let's put it that way. Um, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're very overt. We're very, there's a lot of prideful things to being a man. Uh, you know, we beat our chest, you know, things like that. Um, and, and, fe- and feminine nature is, is more covert. Um, and, and do you think there's something to that between the masculine and feminine, the natural part of us? Yeah. So Chris, I think, I think that's part of it. I think there's a lot of things that play into it. Um, and I think the real, you know, the, the reason that we talk about it is because then how do we, how do we climb the ladder of success if, mm-hmm. if we can't, you know, be proud of what we've accomplished so yeah. far, yeah. right? So in corporate America, how do I, how do I exude confidence without arrogance mm-hmm. in this feminine space where, you know, maybe a generation before me, you know, they said, well, act like a man, you know, be be bossy, be that other B word, right? And now we've evolved to this place where it's like, no, you don't have to be a man, be a, be a woman and, and be you and do it your way. Mm-hmm. But we haven't quite seen what that looks like um, in a lot of industries or spaces, quite frankly. Uh-huh. And so trying to figure that out um, is a little bit of what the book's about. There you go. Tell us a little bit more about your history. We always ask about the hero's uh, journey. Uh, how did you grow up and what were some of the things that shaped you and, and kind of made you uh, want to go into business and, and do things for yourself as an entrepreneur? Sure. Well, both of my parents were entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. but I never knew that, right? Like they never used the word entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. My mom taught tumbling. My mom opened a travel agency. So she would call herself a small business owner, but never would have considered herself an entrepreneur, if you would. My dad was a rancher. He was a cowboy till the day he died. Cowboy, right? All in. And if those guys aren't entrepreneurs, I don't know what is, but they get up every day as their own boss and try to figure out how to make a living off the land, right? 
And so that's how I grew up, you know, just the the child of two hardworking parents, Mm -hmm. uh, dad who said, you know, you can be anything you want to be. Right. And, um, and, and my mom demonstrating it, neither of them with a college degree, uh, but they were both very successful. Uh, my dad has since passed, but my mom still is uh, hustling, bustling entrepreneur, just uh, always doing great things. But I didn't really know that that's what I was going to be. Honestly, I went to college on a track and field scholarship, and I still had no idea what I was going to be when I grew up. Mm-hmm. I pursued a teaching degree because people always said, you're, you're a good teacher. I was like, okay, well, I guess that's what I'll do. And graduated still, you know, undecided. And now here I am in, in the, the end of my 40s, and I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. <laughs> you and me, I'm still trying to figure that out. But the one thing I do know is I love my podcast. So uh, I've been doing it for 15 years, so I'm, I'm going to stick with it, I think. But yeah. I love entertaining people, making them laugh. And I love uh, meeting interesting people like yourself and learning from them. There isn't a show that goes by that I, I don't have an epiphany and, and, uh, or have some sort of paradigm shift where I go, oh, I didn't look at that in that way, but okay, I see now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so hopefully my audience does too, damn it. I'm shaming my audience right now. I have to guilt them. Keep in line. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Uh, now you've done you've done a lot of cool things here. Uh, in the bio, uh, you've you've run multiple companies, I believe. Let me see where I can find that here. You got a master's degree in educational leadership. Leadership is so important to a lot of these different aspects. Um, and then I, I know you're running for uh, I think state congress. Is that correct? State Senate, sure. State Senate. So I want to give you that accolade. And uh, let's see, there was something else, just multiple companies, I think is what I read here, that you've started over the years and and done businesses and stuff like that. Um, What do you, you, uh, right now with the book, what are you trying to accomplish? I noticed that you you have, uh, you're blowing a whistle, kind of like a coach on the cover of your book. Uh, Is, is, what, is that your focus right now is to build the book, build your speaking, build uh, build coaching, et cetera, et cetera? Sure. So, uh, yes. So I do uh, motivational speaking and uh, kind of corporate coaching on creating environments uh, for success for all people. And I do a lot of consulting work to small to large associations or organizations on that. Um, the whistle that you see in there is actually a tribute to the fact that I did 24 years of officiating basketball. Oh, yes. There you go. And so I did uh, more than a decade uh, refereeing Division One women's basketball all over the country. And I think that um, being on the sideline and uh, having this really unique uh, position as a referee to, you know, manage a basketball game, make correct calls, and also hear and listen to people when maybe they aren't as sane as they would be if they were outside those lines. <laughs> <laughs> Puts me, uh, you know, in a unique position to be able to uh, negotiate tough situations, to have crucial mm-hmm. conversations, to uh, be able to experience a lot of emotions and find a way to find solution and or agreement uh-huh. or at least acceptance, um, regardless of kind of where the emotions are coming from. And so uh, the whistle on the, the cover of the book is uh, it's just that it's a tribute to really the lessons I learned on the sideline of being a referee. There you go. Now, do you tell those stories in the book? I do tell a few of those stories in the uh-huh. book. Um, yeah. 
There you go. And, you know, you might want to apply to the NFL. I, they've had a couple of bad calls recently. I think one was a Kansas City game or something. I don't know what it was. Uh, I, if it's not the Raiders, I don't pay attention. But evidently, yeah, I'm happy with the at least. Lions game. Um, it was the Lions game. It was the Lions game? Yeah, yeah. And so, yes, people are still quite heated. I watched it this morning on Center while I was on the yeah. trip. <laughs> yeah. I guess the, I guess the officiating team has been demoted. So, there's so. Well, down. it's unfortunate, right? I mean, yeah. officials make thousands of decisions every game, and one of them can, you know, sideline their career for a period of time. So yeah. it's a tough job. It's a really tough job, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, people are, can blame you for everything. You don't make the playoffs, and it's their fault. <laughs> it's not. It's not fair. Sometimes it's a tough job. It is. It is. Yeah. But I imagine it builds a lot of character for yourself. You know, you're, you're spending a lot of time analyzing things, trying to make the right calls, and it, it shapes you in a lot of ways as a referee, as a leader. I mean, technically, as a referee or a leader, you're in charge of, you know, making sure that everyone follows the rules and the game is played fairly. And, you know, you try and be a good judge of, of balance. You know, that that's being a CEO of companies all my life since 18. I mean, that's one of the factors I always tried to be was be a good judge and be able to call the ball right. If I had to fire someone or demote them or, or throw them out of second story windows, the callback joke on the show. Uh, don't do that folks. That's just a joke. Don't do that. We never did that. Anyway, whatever the lawyers made me say that, uh, yeah. but we might have done it. Um, that or I was about ready to jump out of second story window sometimes over employees. But, um, you know, learning to be a good judge, and I think that's really important in leadership in learning how to be a good judge, being a good evaluator. Because only you have to be, evaluate the business, the aspects of where it's going, but a lot of times you have to evaluate employees. And you have to go, you know, what's going on with this employee? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? How can I maybe fix them or provide servant leadership to make them better, et cetera, et cetera? Any your thoughts on what I just uh, made up there? Uh, thinner <laughs> you know that is um an important aspect is the ability to have discernment and evaluate situations and and see everybody's point of view but yet do what is right mm -hmm. i think the biggest thing about being a basketball official to your point is you really have to be of utmost integrity and you yeah. have to you know you have to behave better than everyone else right mm -hmm. you have to manage your emotions better than everyone else mm -hmm. um it's it's a role where you stand and get called everything under the book. And the expectation is that you will respond kindly yeah. and professionally regardless. Right. Yeah. And, and everyone else in the arena has mm -hmm. carte blanche to say or do whatever they would like to you. Right. Yeah. And so it, it's a very unique situation to be able to, um, to know that you must always be of utmost integrity and you also have to have a lot of control over your emotions and oh, yeah. control over your words. Um, you know, we have the tool of a technical foul, but that's about it, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've had coaches bow up to me. I've had coaches threaten me. I've had players wow. threaten, parents threaten, threaten a me. woman. Jesus, oh, of course. What are we coming um, to, man? Father that you know followed me all the way in my car and threatened me. I mean, it's all the things, right? Wow. Yeah, the participation generation sort of thing. I don't know. I, I, I when I was raised, you know, <laughs> when I was raised back in my day. Uh, all right, here you come. Here comes Chris with the "get off my lawn" speech, uh, <laughs> old man. 
Thanks, Boomer. I'm not a Boomer, people. Uh, but, you know, back in my day, you know, they did teach sportsmanship. And it does seem like team sports were a little bit nicer. You know, people shouted stuff. But, I mean, at the end of the day, everyone shook hands. Uh, I remember, you know, we went through a sportsman-like thing. I think in basketball, we had YBA, I think it was called, Youth Basketball Association. Um, you know, we all just shake hands before and after the game and and have a monicum, uh, a monicum of, of uh, sportsmanship. We were taught sportsmanship. But yeah, I think it's really changed now. And, uh, yeah, you see a lot of violence and, you know, people getting into fights and stuff. I remember there was somebody I was dating, and I went to the basketball games of her kid. Um, and, yeah, there's people getting fights, fist fights in the, uh, in the bleachers. And I was like, you know, they're, they're children here, people. They're watching. Like they're not even like I remember. I think I think at one one time uh, her son said to her, he goes, you know, mom, I really don't care that much. You're really yeah. you're really <laughs> caring more than I care. Like, yeah. I don't want I don't know what the hell's going on there, but I'm the one playing the game and I'm fine. So just calm down. But yeah, yeah it's kind of, it's kind of funny how engaged people get. But yeah, I mean, you you have a rule book, you have the rules. They're written. And so you have to get people to form them. And, of course, everybody wants to play. Well, my team, you know, the rules don't apply. And mm -hmm. we could bend the rules. And, you know, they weren't on the foul line or whatever the, yeah. the case is. And you're like, no, it's, this is my job. This is what we do every day. And we're really good at it and uh, holding yeah. the line. But, you know, these are... I did hear a sports broadcaster this morning, you know, telling the story of, you know, giving the officials at least the credit to say, you know, actually officials genuinely want to get plays right. I mean, this is yeah. why there is replay now. Yeah. It didn't come from the coaches. It didn't come from the, the leagues. It came from the officials, right? They're the yeah. officials want to, to get plays right. They watch a lot of film. They do a lot of study. Um, but it's the only piece of the game where perfection is expected, right? I mean, you can shoot 70% from the free throw line and still be successful, 30% behind the free throw line and be successful. You can win, you know, 80% of your games and be successful. 30% um, behind the plate, if you will. But officiating, the expectation is perfection, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a really hard thing to live up to. And, and everybody's, you know, human. There you go. Yeah, everybody makes mistakes. I mean, even referees. But you try and you, you're you're judge and jury. You try and get it right. You try and do the right thing. You know, integrity mm -hmm. is important. Certainly, some of the people in the stands might have a little bit of bias. <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe some less integrity. Uh, yeah. So there you go. But you're you're the person who has to hold the line and try and make it fair for both teams. So um, let's tease out some of these ten commandments, if you will. We always like to have people buy the book to find out what the whole story is, but can you tease out a couple of these 10 commandments that uh, maybe are your favorites? Sure. Sure. Um, you know, there's a couple, um, of them. I think for the first one, you know, that I would probably put up there is one of the apologies is do not apologize for your motherhood status. And this is really uh, touchy because, you know, when I first, um, entered into the executive world, it would not be uncommon for the hiring committee to ask questions like, um, you know, who's taking care of the kids if you, a female, are going to work, right? Mm -hmm. um, are you going to take your sick days to take care of children, et cetera, et cetera, right? And these were looked at as negatives for hiring females. Hmm. 
get into the workforce. And then in other environments, you found people who were like, oh, well, if we're going to hire you as a female, you know, are you planning on having children soon? Are you going to need maternity leave? Hmm. Are you going to be out? Um, And that was a negative to hiring them. And then on the flip side, you'd hire some single person. And the expectation was that single person always worked the late shift or the weekend shift or the holiday shift because, well, they're single. They don't have children. They don't have a life. So, yeah, right? You don't have a life. That's me. I know. (laughs) We're we're just going to take your life, right? And so one of the Mm. things that I work through here is like, don't apologize on either side of that and set your boundaries accordingly, right? There you go. Uh, And so I talk about, um, I opted to not have children. And so one of those things that, you know, I, I was asked many times in interviews, especially as I got into almost my thirties was, you know, when are you going to have children? And all the conversations that happen after that. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, um, one of the apologies I say is, you know, if you're a, a female and you have four children at home, and you need to have on your resume what a really amazing project manager you are because you managed to get four kids to four things at four different times all in, in one minivan. Like you have mad time management skills, right? And so don't apologize for your motherhood status. Instead, find ways to show what you have gleaned from that experience and, and what life gives you, yeah. not what it takes from you. Yeah. And so um that's a great um that's a great commandment that people will may find interesting to read because i find many people who say oh well i don't have kids so i'm not going to read that chapter and i hmm. say i dare you go ahead and read it yeah <laughs> yeah because i mean hopefully you know i i don't know we've had some people on the show lately that have talked about this but it seems like some of the people in jobs and job recruiting are starting to realize that life experience and what you've done in your life across it um, whether it's been job applicable or not, is is experience that helps you, you know, problem solve, uh, evaluate. You know, some of the stuff that you know we're talking about with what you did in coaching plays into business and and yeah. leadership and stuff like that. Uh, it, it 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 all cross cross plays, and so um, and so yeah. I mean, certainly if you have four children, I don't know. You may be able to multitask better than I do because I. If I get, you know, I, I haven't had children either, and if I get around them, I can ha- I can handle about twenty minutes before. Well, actually, it's ten before I start losing my freaking mind. Um, before they're yeah. you, and right? I love children. They're great. They're great for other people, and uh, I think it's so great that they're holding up my end of the breeding process that <laughs> the universe wanted me to do. That's right. But uh, and thank you, thank you for covering my end of the action. Those of you who had five, six kids above the average norm, thank you, Utah, pretty much, basically. Um, so you know, there's an average of ten kids or whatever that goes on up there. And thank you also for uh, doing my part of the the wives. I skipped that too. So thanks, Utah, for doing the polygamous wife thing. Anyway, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, raising four kids, uh, you know, if you raise two, even if you don't raise, I mean, these these are all life experiences and stuff. You know, I mean, certainly um, all these different aspects. Uh, what's another uh, Ten Commandment that you want to tease out maybe? Yeah. So uh, this one I think is um, important for the business owner, which is uh, don't apologize when you pivot. Right. 
And I think this became a much more popular word during COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I wrote this book right before COVID, uh, released it um, a couple of years before COVID. And this wasn't a term everybody was using. Mm -hmm. But really, you know, in life, uh, sometimes in your version of success, you may have to pivot. Mm -hmm. You know, to your point, um, I've owned a couple of small businesses and, you know, sometimes they run their course, right? You, You run a construction business. Um, that is a period of life and that is a time. And then there comes a time when you're like, okay, and now I've learned what I needed from this or gleaned what I needed and we're going to take a pivot. Mm. Uh, in the book, I tease out some of the personal uh, choices that I needed to pivot away from and really kind of how uh, being hurt or vulnerable or broken at some point in life creates opportunities to pivot. And so uh, in the book, you'll talk, it talks a little bit about, you know, when those things happen that, you know, really gut check you and question, you know, really put into question everything you think, you know, to be truth and stable. Um, and you may need to pivot. There you go. And that's, it's a life experience, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you give me a great, interesting paradigm to think about how, you know, I've had companies that have gone out of business uh, and, you know, we built a nice little empire for almost 20 years. And then 2008 came along and one of our biggest uh, assets was a mortgage company. So so that that went well. Um, and the mortgage company meltdown crisis uh, of all the things to own. I thought I would own that company forever. Um, and uh, but, you know, your paradigm that you shift that you stated that. You know, maybe maybe it was more of a thing where you learned everything you needed to do, and you needed some new challenges. I love yeah. I love looking at it that way because the other way was really painful. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, you know, you can you can wallow in it, right? You can wallow in the sorrows, or you can make that list of like this. These are the things that I took from that that I learned from that, and and you know, sometimes I'm like, thank you, God, I don't need to learn that lesson anymore. I got mm-hmm. it. Let's let's move on to a new lesson. <laughs> yeah, most definitely, and and uh, yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. You know, some people take it on as a as a hit to the chin, and they go, "I'm a failure. I I screwed up. I I'm worthless." I'm you know maybe they're going to do you know apology like you talk about in your book, but uh, you know having the paradigm. Okay, okay, well this is a you know we ran its course. You know it's it's interesting. I found some companies you know. You have a great business model that runs its course five years, ten years. Then all of a sudden, markets change, or you know, Amazon maybe steps into your field. You know, there's a million different things that can happen, um, and then suddenly it doesn't work anymore, and you're just like, "Well, holy crap, a moly!" You know, what do we do now? And uh, off you run. Uh, let's tease out one more, if you don't mind, before we go. Sure. So uh, let's say, you know, out of the Ten Commandments, um, I'll talk a little bit about this one then just a little bit differently, which is, um, you know, don't apologize for um, other people's emotions. Mm -hmm. And so this is one of those things where I think as um, we enter into workforces that maybe haven't hired a lot of women or they haven't hired a lot of people who look like you or act like you or speak like you. Um, other people may exude certain emotions that, that you don't need to apologize for. Right. And so how do you navigate success and the journey, um, without assuming everyone else's emotions? 
And that's in the corporate space. And then I would say like in the personal space, uh, you know, as you look for the perfect mate or the perfect partner or the perfect wife or husband or whatever that may be, you know, your journey of success may um, travel faster or slower than theirs, Mm -hmm. which then leads to them having emotions about your success. And I think one of the things that, you know, that I have learned um, through failure and in some success is that I, I can't, um, I can't make your emotions better, right? I can't yeah. make you feel better about my success. Yep. And so, you know, we have to be really careful with the people we surround ourselves with because we really have to look for people that we put in our life that uh, can accept our success uh, that they aren't the crab in the bucket pulling us back down, right? <laughs> that they're actually out there rah-rahing with us. And that, that, may, that may be friendships, that may be mm-hmm. you know, partnerships, that may be marriages, that may be business partners, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, if, you are, um, if you're apologizing for other people's emotions, um, it, it's going to definitely hinder your ability to progress and succeed. Definitely. Uh, you, you can't live your life based upon other people's emotions. Um, I had a friend say recently on Facebook, he goes, try not to be a dick. I don't know. It was some sort of mantra that he was trying to do of like doing whatever. And I'm like, and so I responded and we had a little discussion about it. And I was like, I was like, but dude, you can't control people's perception of you. If they think you're, you're going to be a dick, then that I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to try and you know be servile or walk around like you say? Maybe you know apologizing. I hope I'm not a dick today uh, to anyone. Uh, I'm trying really hard, uh, which is the opposite of what I do every day. Um, and the you know you you just can't live your life that way. You know you can't live your life you know being everyone's step on. And you know there's always going to be number one there's two types of people there's people that are just going to perceive your the way you are you're a jerk you're a, 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 a you know i'm i'm surprised when people tell come and tell me what a wonderful guy i'm I'm like have you seen me lately <laughs> um and uh uh i'm like you you clearly have me confused with somebody else because everyone else is telling me i'm an asshole um <laughs> which is true but uh and so you got those people and then you got some people they just hate you for your success like you talked about they're not your cheerleader and so they're going to think you're a dick whether you're not being a dick or you're being a dick you know i've had a lot of people make a lot of quick judgments about me which are usually right if they're four little expletives and uh <laughs> uh so you know there's that I mean, you just you just can't live your life that way it's a horrible way to try and live and trying to ple- be a people pleaser to everybody because you just never can please everybody. No. And, and you have to be true to yourself and, and be the yeah. best version of yourself that you can be. And you can take those, you know, assessments and evaluations and you can put them in your pocket and say, okay, those exist. Those have come in. I've mm-hmm. evaluated them as truth or false, but <clears throat> you can't, um, you, you probably can't change a lot of those, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you can't get up each day and go, well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to go on the Chris Voss show today because, you know, he's got way too many followers. Somebody's going to think that I'm trying to show out. Right. And so what I'm saying is, you know, that is something that, that women have apologized Mm -hmm. for, 
that that women regularly apologize for. I hear it. I hear wow. them say this to me. I hear husbands say to me, oh my gosh, I'm buying this book for my wife because she apologizes all the time. <laughs> and, and I'm like, it is. And so, you know, the, the band theory, you know, it's put the rubber band on your wrist. And every time you say the words, I'm sorry, pop that band. If it's not actually an, I'm sorry, but maybe it should have been an excuse me or, mm. you know, may I, you know, talk to you, not, I'm sorry. Can I ask a question? Yeah. You know, it How- takes a lot of that narcissism. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. That'll you do never it. Say, you never have to say uh, sorry to anybody ever again. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> you know, there are times to say I'm sorry. Yeah. But there are also times to just say excuse me or yeah. to just start the question. Um, yeah. Teen did a commercial um, in the 80s, and it, they released this commercial in Asia. They'd never released it in the United States, but it's actually a sorry, not sorry um, ad campaign. And it's really interesting. Um, when you share this, you can definitely, um, put that commercial in the show notes or or tag that old video won a ton of awards, Mm -hmm. but it demonstrates in, in great, you know, 45 second videos, these just cultural apologies that we make. And a woman will say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Here, will you hold these groceries while I get the other 25 bags out of the car? But I'll say, I'm sorry when I ask you to hold them. Or hmm. I'll sit down next to you and you'll bump my arm off the armrest and I'll say, I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. And so these these um, unnecessary apologies, uh, what, what they found in a lot of the research that they do by people much smarter than me is that those... I'm sorry that are unnecessary really um, shrink a person's mm. presence, right? Yeah. And so it makes you smaller, um, always yeah. kind of underling and kind of pushing yourself down when maybe you're in an equal setting where just eliminating those two words helps mm-hmm. the perception of you dramatically. Yeah. I just knocked her arm back off the airline seat and just take control of the I'm big enough anyway. I just give them a look and they're just like, yeah. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, there was, I've had, I've done that in time in, in, uh, in times of my life. And so I think some people mistake it for being polite. You just, you, know, you just want to be polite. You don't want to cause a scene, you know, um, and stuff. Uh, I, I know that sometimes I've been yelled at by women that have been like, but saying sorry all the time. And I'm like, I say, I'm just being polite. Like, you know, I mean, I can, I have two choices. I can say I'm sorry or, or whatever. I don't know. There's a joke there somewhere. I can't find it. Um, but you know, it, it, you're like, okay, well, okay. <laughs> I would, I just won't apologize for anything anymore, which I've found works as well. Uh, blame everybody else. That we never <laughs> have to apologize. <laughs> blame everyone else for everything you do wrong. Take no self accountability people. That's the real key to it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> So there you go. Uh, uh, give us a final pitch out on the show uh, uh, for your book, people to get uh, acquainted with your services and what you offer there, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So uh, thanks again, Chris, uh, for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm a listener. I listen to your podcast and appreciate it. Uh, but if you want to get to know uh, the Rachel Milo message, you can go to rachelmilo.com or successwithoutapology.com. 
uh, I would ask, you know, to read the book, buy the book. You can buy it on Amazon or anywhere you buy books. You can download my podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And, you know, the other thing I would say is just, uh, if you're a woman, you know, just think about the, the apologies that you make during the day and see if they are really necessary. And if you're a man that um, you notice women are apologizing, um, encourage them, right, mm. to apologize if it's necessary, but not apologize um, for things like just doing success your own way and your own yeah. version. Yeah. I'd love to have you read the book. I'd love to come talk to your company or organization um, if this is a message that resonates with you or if you're seeing a change in your industry, like I have in so many others where maybe second or third generation daughters are now taking over companies um, and it looks different. They run it differently. They manage people differently. And, and what does that look like for policies, procedures, meetings, et cetera, that now that there's kind of a new voice in the room, what do those need to look like uh, so that, that we can be as efficient as possible. There you go. Thank you very much, Rachel, for coming to the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. There you go. Thanks for coming. And folks, order up the book wherever fine books are sold. Uh, the 10 Commandments of Success Without Apology. The hashtag Success Without Apology. Um, did we get your dot coms before we went out? I can't remember if we got them. RachelMilo.com and SuccessWithoutApology.com. There you go. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks, my honest, for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, the Chris Foss uh, newsletter. So sign up for that. The 130,000 LinkedIn group, Chris Foss One on TikTok, and Chris Foss Facebook.com. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time. And that's.